It's embarrassing. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and it is my honor and privilege to be bringing the Word of God to you all this morning. Uh, there's this thing that's happening in my house right now. Um, some of you have, have witnessed this firsthand. It's this thing called, my oldest daughter refuses to stay in bed. Uh, anyone else ever have this problem with your kids? Like, they just won't stay in bed. Like, I'm, 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 I'm literally about, about two, two blinks away from Jesus of, of, like, taping her to her bed. Like, it's, it's getting close. And she just, Sarah just, just, she just, just don't want to go. She just don't want to go, and then when she finally goes, she doesn't want to stay there. She does not value her sleep, nor have I learned does she value anyone else's sleep. Literally, just this morning, I rolled over and felt and heard, <clears throat> because I realized that at some point while I was sleeping, my eldest had crawled into bed after getting out of bed multiple times earlier that night. So... That's what I'm dealing with. And no matter what we try ahead of bedtime, no matter, I mean, I mean, listen, like, you, you might be thinking, like, oh, you're a young parent, don't know what you're doing, you haven't tried this, that, and the third. Like, try me, bro. Like, I have tried literally everything. Rachel and I have put our heads together and tried everything. We have worn them out. We have not let them, like, take naps and put up with the misery of their later tired hours and try that. We tried put them in later. We tried getting them up in the morning. We tried, we tried doing all this stuff, and it doesn't matter what we try ahead of time. Sarah will not stay in bed. My last resort, one time when Rachel was out of town, I, like, I can't believe as a parent, I, never, I said I would never do this, but I did it. I looked at her dead in the eyes. I said, Sarah, if you stay in bed, daddy will take you for donuts in the morning. But if you get out of bed, ain't no donuts for you now, ain't no donuts for you ever. Ever. So stay in bed. And guess what? It worked. It worked. And so she woke up in the morning. I was sleeping. She wakes up. She, she, she wakes up. She comes in. About 7 a.m., right on time, as she does every single morning, she pats me on the arm. Daddy, it's me. I look, I look, I open my eyes, I look at her, she goes, time to go get donuts. I'm like, that's it, it worked. Unfortunately, I've created a monster. Uh, because now, just about every night, if I don't bribe her already to stay in bed, she will ask, what do I get if I stay in bed? If I stay in bed, where are we going in the morning? What do I get to do? She now weighs, is what I get in return worth doing something that seems difficult to me? Is what I get in return worth doing something that seems impossible to me? The scriptures say athletes train hard to win a prize. 
But that prize that they are ultimately striving for cannot go with them after they die. But we as Christians fight for an eternal prize. We work hard at this life now. We work hard at our discipline to chase an eternal crown. We live life the way we do. Welcome to the series called For the Crown. And often we talk about counting the costs. We talk about the grind. We talk about the off-season, the training camp days, the two-a-days. We talk about patient endurance, but not often enough do we talk about the reward that's waiting for us on the other side. Y'all going to have to wake up because I'm going somewhere this morning. God, I don't know if y'all were here for worship. Y'all might just now be coming in, but God is already doing something this morning, and I plan to just continue that work alongside of him. If you are like me, you may be sitting here this morning, and you might be subjectively looking at this whole faith thing, at this whole church thing, at these people Raising their hands. These people talking about, I'm going to be different on Monday and Tuesday. It might fade by Wednesday, but we got Wednesday night, so we're going to go right on into Thursday, Friday. It's a weekend on Saturday. I'll come stumbling in on Sunday. That doesn't sound like the life for me. I don't know if, if, if that life is worth it to me. I don't know if a life lived in community. I don't know if a life lived where people know my business. I don't know if all this stuff is worth it to me. Believe me, that's where I was. There are some Sundays where I'm sitting in the back, and that's where I'm currently at. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just got to look at this whole situation and think to yourself, what is my reward? What do I get for this? And it sounds selfish, but if we're being honest with ourselves, do we do anything without there being some type of reward? So when it comes to this, what is my reward? For the next few weeks, we'll be in the book of 1 Peter. Roz, it was Peter. Come on, man. 1 Peter. We'll be, we'll be starting in the first chapter. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. As we learned last week, sometimes technology doesn't work. Our screens were fine, but someday those might go out. So you should get in the habit of bringing your Bibles with you, because I know you all read them every morning. Or if you have your electronic devices, and you can fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of... Let's go! Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. You go right ahead and you flip on your electronic devices. You turn on the Bible app and you flip with me to 1 Peter, which is in the New Testament. Chapter 1 will be starting at the top. Are we awake today? Can somebody say reward? Reward. Say reward. Reward. What is my reward? reward. All right, we're we're, going to get there. Here we go. 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting... In verse 1, we're only going five verses today, y'all. Praise God. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Verse 2, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Verse 3, this is where it gets crazy. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy. Somebody say mercy. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, 
we live with great expectation. We live with great hope. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And let's round it out with verse 5. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. This is the word of God, and it is true. So what we have here in the book of 1 Peter is, you guessed it, the author Peter. Peter, if you remember last week, we talked about uh, Jesus kind of walks up to these fishermen when he's ready to begin his ministry. He walks up to these fishermen and he's like, hey, you, 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 you two, you two trying to catch fish. Yeah, go ahead, drop all that and I need you to come with me. And we talked about how there must be something about Jesus. There must be, because let somebody walk up to you while you do what you do and say, yeah, drop all that. Go ahead and follow me. You're going to be like, yeah, you drop all that and go ahead and follow yourself on out of here, right? But there must be something different about Jesus because what they did was they dropped their nets and they went ahead and followed him. And so what we have here is an account of one of the people who decided to do that. He decided without knowing much of anything ahead of time, I'm going to drop everything that I know, love, and know how to do, and I'm going to follow this man Jesus. And what he writes back to us now is the reward of doing such a thing. Last week we ended by asking, will you choose to follow Jesus? Will you choose to be a disciple of Jesus? There's a lot that goes into that, but what Peter wants to relay to us in the following verses is the infinite reward of doing so. This is a man who risked it all, and now he writes his experience, and in his opening, he explains how great it is to be with Jesus. He's telling us, I'm paraphrasing, but he's telling us, yo, you you want this. You want to do this. You want this reward. You want what's waiting for you on the other side. And if you ask Peter, well, what is the reward? I need you to give it to me in a word. Well, what I just read to you all is that the reward is God himself. That is the reward. And that shouldn't seem so anticlimactic. If it does, I want you to take careful note because God himself is greater than anything we could possibly wish for. And as Christian doctrine and the rest of the scriptures show us, God gives himself to us in three parts. And so if you will, follow me as we talk about part one of how he gives himself to us. Part one, there's three of them this morning. Part one, he gives himself to us in his son. Rob, you can go ahead and put uh, uh, three three and four. We're going to be there for for a hot second. He gives him to us in in his son. In verse three, you see, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God did what? He has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God gives us our reward. God gives us himself in the form of of Jesus. God sends his son to be received by Mary because up to that point we were on some other stuff. Up to that point we had been messed up. 
We have been given so much, and what you can read throughout the entire Old Testament is God, demonstrate, God demonstrates his constant faithfulness amidst our constant faithlessness. God continues to give and give and save and save and do and do, and we continue to, thanks for creating me, thanks for giving me land, thanks for blessing my family, no thanks on telling me how to live my life. And so we need a Savior. We had created so much distance, so much brokenness, and so many man-made things to put between us and God that it looked like our relationship with the creator of the universe was hopeless. Then God sent his son so we could know him. But God did not just send Jesus to simply shake the hand of humanity. God did not simply send Jesus to show off the magnificent power and unwavering strength he possesses. God sends Jesus to give us grace and mercy. Somebody say mercy. mercy. He sends Jesus to give us grace and mercy. Somebody this morning might be like me not that long ago, and you might say, what, what, what is the difference between grace and mercy? Right? It's okay. You don't have to admit it. I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. It was me. Mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish. In other words, let me say it like this. God withholds what you deserve. There's this like spirit, there's like this culture that we have of entitlement where we think if we work hard that all of a sudden we have earned something. It doesn't matter how hard you work, you haven't earned anything in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how hard you work, you cannot save yourself. We are finite beings. We need a savior to save us. And so let's just go ahead and rebuke that spirit of entitlement right now. What we actually deserve is death. Because not one of us is in right standing with God this morning. What we deserve is to not inherit the kingdom of God. What we deserve is to not even tie up the shoelaces of Jesus' sandals. And there wasn't no shoelaces. That's how, that's how crazy it is. We can't even do that. We don't deserve what we deserve is not God. What we deserve is far banishment. What we deserve is punishment. But God in his mercy withholds what we deserve. So grace. Grace then is defined as free and unmerited favor. Basically what I mean to say is God gives you what you don't deserve. And Peter should know, right? Like Peter should know, right? So I know, I know some of you, uh, some of my Bible scholars in the room are going to go with me on this. But, but, but Peter, Peter, Peter was the man. Peter was one of the main disciples. Like Jesus had his crew, but then within the crew, it was, it was, it was Peter and two others, right? But like the one we read about the most is Peter. Peter is the man. Peter's the one that ain't afraid to stand up to Jesus and be like, uh-uh, that's not how it is. And Jesus isn't afraid to look at him and be like, hey, I love you, but you need to sit your uninformed butt down. They have a wonderful relationship. And Peter, when still face to face with Jesus, is told, hey man, you're going to deny me about three times. Peter's like, no way. I see you. I can feel you. I can touch you. I can shake your hand. I can smell you from over here, Jesus. There isn't no way that I would ever deny you. But wouldn't you know it? 
Let that man go ahead and get himself in a situation where Jesus is being, being carried out in handcuffs. Somebody recognizes Peter and be like, hey, aren't you one of those guys who've been running around with Jesus? He said, mm-hmm, not me. No, uh-uh, no. See, what happened was I, 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 I had a beard, but I cut my beard. So you're probably mistaken me because I actually long time of a beard, and I probably just look like somebody else, and you don't know. And he would go ahead and wiggle his way out of it. And then about a second time, and then about a third time, he has an opportunity to say, yeah, I know Jesus and what he says is true, but he doesn't. He backs down. No, not peer pressure. Not, not in the face of what's going on right now. Not, not, not with all this right here. No, 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 no. I'm going to back down. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter left everything for Jesus. Peter heard everything and saw everything for and with Jesus. But when faced with the opportunity to, to, to proclaim his name, Peter ran away. And then when Jesus comes back from the dead and is face to face with Peter, rather than doing what we all would have done, or let me just talk about myself, what I would have done, and, 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 and wanted to look at Peter and be like, man, I told you what you were going to do, punch him in the throat and be done. Instead, Jesus offers Peter the keys to the kingdom. He said, you wrecked my car. You done drove it. You don't have a license. You were drinking. You were on another level. You were influenced by all these other things. You were going at speeds that I told you specifically not to do, and you ran right through that tree. Here's the keys to the new car. Peter should know. My junior year of college, I found out that not all of my credits that I believe to have transferred actually transferred to the prestigious Malone University. The reality I was facing was either an extra semester of school. Somebody say amen if Malone's trying to keep them for an extra semester. That's about all. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I knew I wasn't alone on that. The reality I was facing was either an extra semester of school or to take 20 plus credit hours while working full time and serving in ministries my last three semesters each. The registrar wasn't going to let me. Because they were like, Mr. Hunker, we got to be honest with you, sir. Um, and you, you always know it's bad news when they're like real formal and official to you as a student. Mr. Hunker, we got to be honest with you, sir. Uh, you just, you, you, you don't have a GPA that reflects to us that you could handle the rigor of a 20-plus credit hour. Man, say I'm stupid. It's fine. It's fine. Don't use your academic words to tell me what it is. Like, I know what it is. My GPA is in the toilet. I'll work on it. But see, I got my professor's signature that said, that said, ah, he'll probably be okay. Right? And I remember it in one class in particular, one of my major classes, actually, so not one of the ones that you can blow off. That's bad advice. Don't listen to that. I, I absolutely took it way too lightly. And see, the, th- the thing of it was, like, I loved the class. Like, I loved the subject matter. Moreover, I loved the professor. He was the man. I wanted to be that guy. Like, he was the closest thing to Jesus that I knew. I loved the class, loved the professor, loved what we were talking about. I was in class every single day, and I loved most of my classmates. But see, I didn't put the work in. I didn't take it seriously enough to actually do the homework assignments. I didn't actually take it seriously enough to actually do the papers. Like, literally. And I remember on the last day of class, 
my professor pulled me in to his office and he said, Corey, um, you failed this class. You, 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 you didn't make it. I had earned a failing grade. I did not deserve to pass the class. I could not stand in, all, in front of anyone and in all certainty say without lying that I met all the requirements of the class. But praise God for this professor. Because he looked at me and he spoke truth into my life. He told me what he saw in store for me. He told me all he believed God was going to use me to do. He told me he saw things in me that I didn't even see in myself. And he told me that he was not going to let this be what prevents me from continuing to go on to do what God had so clearly called and wired me to do. And he provided me with another way to pass the class. Y'all didn't feel me on that one, but let me put it to you in layman's terms. Part of our reward is that God will never give us what we deserve. Rather, he will always give us what we need. And aren't we so thankful? Aren't we so thankful that God doesn't give us the slop that we deserve, but he always gives us what we need we got to keep moving part two part two of the way God gives himself to us is his very presence for eternity it's being kept for us in heaven there's another part of this reward waiting for us in heaven. This reward does not just cover our sin. It doesn't just last for this lifetime. It's not a nice sticker that we get to wear as long as we're breathing. This reward is eternal. That means this reward is an inheritance that will never go away. That we get to experience a little bit and kind of, but, 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 but just a taste now. But our reward is more fully waiting for us when our time on earth has passed and we enter into heaven forever. Our heavenly inheritance, Peter writes, is imperishable, meaning it's not subject to decay of this world or at risk of becoming outdated. Not like your iPhone. My iPhone right now, it's, 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 it's reached that point. You know what iPhone, any iPhone users in the house, am I, am I the only one? Let's go Team Apple, come on, come with me. My iPhone's at that point, and J I know JD's giving me crooked looks, like, get Android stuff out of here. My iPhone is at that point where, like, it still looks okay, but see, the, 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 the software that the iPhones are running off of now has far exceeded the capacity of my old, tiny little iPhone, and so you're kind of in this space where it's trapped, and you're like, man, I know what's coming, man. Y'all about to hit me with this bill, and I know I, what I gotta do. I gotta upgrade, because... I do not have the capacity to run my stuff. Your software has far exceeded my ability to keep up. That's heaven. And unfortunate. For my money. Our heavenly inheritance is undefiled. 
meaning it has not been stained and changed by sin. It cannot erode or corrode over time. It can't be blemished. Not like buying a home on earth. Anybody ever bought a house before? I'm talking to the older generation now. Anybody ever bought a house before? There's a reason that a lot of people tell you, hey, you're thinking about buying a house? Don't. <laughs> because what happens is you fall in love. You fall in love with this beautiful home. You're like, God, I can't believe I get to live here. This is so wonderful. God, how did you bless me so? And then over time, particularly about two weeks in, you, you begin to learn all of, the, all of the things about the house that ran the previous owners out the building. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, there's this crack over here. And was that chip there before? And why is the wiring so weird in this house? I'm coming back to that one later in the series. But you just learn all of these things about your house. Heaven's not like that. Heaven is that permanent home. Ain't nothing wrong. The sink always does what it's supposed to do in heaven. No matter how many girls you got living in your house. Or how long their hair gets. I got to keep moving. Our heavenly inheritance. Our heavenly inheritance is un fading, meaning it will never change. There is no risk of bankruptcy. There is no risk of it going away. There is no risk of it being temporary, not like our wealth on earth. See, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people look at heaven, when people look at the reward, when people look at salvation as some type of insurance policy. Y'all must be young if you look at it as an insurance policy, because if you've ever been in an accident, you quickly learn how much your insurance does not cover. And if you've ever messed up in your car or at your home, you quickly learn how easy it is for an insurance company to drop you. So heaven ain't no insurance company. Jesus ain't no insurance policy. It's not fire insurance in here. It's unfading. It's not going anywhere. When we die, that's actually where we go. We don't just leave it here. It's unfading. Now, I want to be very clear on something. Real quick, let's not fall into the trap that so many of our brothers and sisters have found themselves in. Heaven is not like Disneyland. Heaven is not our reward for earth graduation. Okay? Heaven is all of the things that we just described. Our reward is all of those things that we just described because he is all of those things that we just described. Heaven is what it is, not because it's heaven and it's waiting for us, but because God is perfect and present in heaven. So when we go, we're not going to be in heaven. We're going to be with God. He is the one who is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He is the one who has withstood the test of time. God is the one who has, been, who has not been corrupt or marred by sin. God is the one who has not gone away, has not changed, and will not go away, and will not change. We have this bad tendency of treating heaven like a savings account. Guys, it's not about having all these kingdom dollars in heaven. It's not about having the nicest stuff in eternity. No good deed is going to get you the newest Sony product in heaven. 
It's not about getting there to see how many boxes we are rewarded with for our good deeds. It's about being with the person who has all the dollars, all the stuff, and writes the checks. Part three, the way God gives us himself as a reward. Did you catch it in verse five? Did you catch it? It's his spirit. God gives us himself and his son. God gives us his perfect presence eventually. God gives us, finally, his spirit. God is protecting you, Peter says, by his power until you have received this salvation. The power of God's spirit protects us because Jesus, not because he was God, but because Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. God gave him the power to live. The power of God's spirit protects us. I must need to take a couple seconds to talk about how powerful God's spirit is. Because you didn't feel me when I said God's spirit protects us. Let me talk for just a second about how powerful God's spirit is. Because Jesus was given the power of the spirit to live, the enemy threw absolutely everything he could at him. Let's talk about that. When Jesus was still an infant, the, the enemy tried to have him killed. When he was an infant. That seems so unfair. They tried to have Jesus killed as an infant. They tempted him when he was lonely, hungry, and tired. Now that's just foul. They call him wicked and evil. They question his integrity. They tried to trick him into saying things that would go against the law. They gave him an unjust and an illegal trial. They hit him with the de death penalty. They killed him. They put his body in the ground. But the Spirit of God picked his son back up, brushed all six feet worth of dirt off of his wonderful body. And he said, come home, son. Come home. What do you need to get back up from this morning? What dirt that has long covered your life what dirt that has long pressed onto your chest and hasn't allowed you to breathe needs to be brushed off this morning? And are you ready to accept your ticket home? Because there is nothing stronger than the protection of God's Spirit. There is no addiction. There is no relationship. There is no debt. There is no depression. There is no physical condition. There is no illness. There is no stronghold that is stronger than the protection of the Spirit of God. Where do you need to feel the Lord's protection this morning? This reward, family, is powerful. It's powerful. It has the ability to get you through life when life throws everything it's got at you. This reward is richer than any scheme that's in our head can get us. It's richer than any man or ruler on this earth. You 
have more currency by accepting this reward than any man can put on your head. And this reward is free. It's freely given. I mean, it costs you your life, but it's freely given. Are you ready to accept it? Have you never gone there before? Are you ready to accept your reward? Are you ready to live in that richness? Are you ready to live in that power? Are you ready to anxiously await the day that we all get called home? Are you ready? Or maybe the problem is that you have accepted it. You know your reward. Maybe you need to be reminded a little bit, but maybe the problem is you just feel disconnected from it. You just feel disconnected from the promise that God relays to us through Peter in this passage. Well, guys, God is bigger than whatever's preventing you. God is more powerful than whatever's been beating you up. And there is nothing he won't do. There is no thing he won't do to protect what he loves the most.